Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey. Uh, great to have you here this morning. Uh, gosh, I got to the microphone. I'm fading in and out. Am I doing okay? Okay, must be my headset maybe. Um, well, great to have you here. Uh, thanks for joining the show. we got a lot to talk about today. And also, too, I want to remember to talk about us being the proud investing partners of the San Diego Padres. Uh, I think they're doing better, you said, Chase, so let's uh, hope they well, continue to win. one game. One game. All right, yeah, wow. they, they had a rough stretch. They, they've been playing well, and then they weren't playing well the last four or five games, and then last night they played well. So Okay. Well, hopefully this is the start of, you oh, know, sorry. continuation of playing Because well. getting, what do you got, another month or so before uh, the I end? I think here? two months. Well, August, September, so about a month and a okay. half. Okay. Yeah, we got time. We got time. So, But, uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about uh, today on the, the investment uh, economic finance world here. Uh, Going to be talking about uh, the United Auto Workers striking. Uh, talk about potential strikes. We, we, we got to go over that because it's unbelievable uh, what they're talking about. Going to talk about gold. Uh, a lot of people are starting to say, "Oh, maybe I should go to gold. Uh, gold's a good thing." We'll talk about, you know, should you, should you not? We'll give you some stories on that. Also, to talk about the CPI, which stands for Con Consumer Price Index, and PPI, which is Producer Price Index, which talks about measurement of inflation. So those are things that we'll handle today. Chase, what do you got? Well, as always, hey, you want to join the show, you got a stock you're looking at buying, selling, holding. We'll break down those fundamentals and, and give you our opinion on, on where that stock looks like it could be going. Uh, you want to join the show, though, it's 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. All right. And, and wait, you, before we go on, you got your golf tournament uh, yes, next, next yes, Saturday, right? Next Saturday. So this will be my last announcement for it. <laughs> I, for I thought about you going to say your last tournament. Like, no, 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 okay. no. <laughs> last announcement. This will be my right. last announcement for it for about a year. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be next Saturday, August 8th. 19th at uh, 11 o'clock's registration. Scramble starts at 1 uh, at the Rancho Bernardo Inn. It's a, it's a great time uh, with the ticket. Uh, beer, seltzer, tacos are all included and obviously a great time on the golf course. So you want to join us for that golf tournament. All funds go towards my charity, the Fighters Fight Foundation, uh, which helps women uh, with experiences that are battling breast cancer. want to make sure they have experiences that they don't forget. And obviously they go through a lot, so it kind of gives them that nice reprieve. But you want to register, go to the website. It's fightersfightfoundation.com. Again, fightersfightfoundation.com. And, and Chase, do you have to be like a great golfer to be in this tournament? Absolutely not. You're a it, real good golfer, right? Uh, it's terrible. <laughs> it, it's more it about runs the, in the family, right? It's more about the fun scale yeah. than the, the golf golf skill scale. Right, right. So we have, have lots of people that aren't good golfers. Good they, golfers. Just, they just enjoy being out there on the course and having fun with friends and um, having some tacos and having some beer. Yeah, and it's a good time for a nice way to spend a Saturday. And a good for cause. A good cause, exactly. So, well, let's switch over to the uh, investment side, we'll call it, uh, because we got to talk about the United Auto Workers because we know this is coming up. And I understand that uh, unions want to try to provide benefits for their workers, but the United Auto Workers, UAW, seems to be asking for an unachievable demands. The negotiations with Stellantis, Ford, and General Motors are underway, and the UAW is demanding 
I'm going to pause for a second here just so this can sink in. They're demanding a 46% pay increase over the next few years. Now, here's how it would lay out. There would be a 20% increase effective once the new contract is signed, and then there'd be a 5% raises annually until 2027. On top of the massive pay increases, the list demands includes... Well, I'll let you finish on this one here. Jason. Yeah, it's, it's the restoration of cost of living pay. So I'm not sure if that's also on top of the raises, that if there's inflation, you get an additional I'm sure pay increase. I'm sure it probably is. I'm sure it probably is. Which is pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, Define benefit pensions for all workers and restoring retiree health coverage. So even if they're not working for you anymore, you're still going to have the health coverage. Uh, the president of the UAW, Sean Fain, also brought up more paid time off and a 32-hour work week. What, what? So they're they're going to work eight hours less per week and still get the pay increase. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure people understand that. Uh huh. So if the UAW was able to get their full list of demands, I, I just got to say this would destroy the U.S. auto companies and limit their ability to compete. I mean, you talk about Toyota, you talk about Hyundai, you talk about right. Tesla, you talk about these companies that aren't in the UAW. You're going to have. These companies fold, and you're going to have the companies not in the UAW do well. Yeah. It's just simple math. Now, as of the current contract, it's set to expire on September 14th. And I just got to say, I believe there will be a strike as the two sides are just so far apart. I know this past week, Sean Fain, the president, took Stellantis' offer. of UAW. President of the UAW took Stellantis' offer and just threw it in the trash. And that was on video. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a good place to start, is it? It's not a good place to start. And it's just, as I said, or we said at the beginning, I understand that unions right. want to try and fight for benefits, but this is just, you can't give benefits to people if they don't have a job. Yeah. And and you could, I, and you talk about auto companies, it's not always all rosy. What if all no. of a sudden year two, we hit a huge recession, their costs go away. We're going to see General Motors and go bankrupt again. Yeah. I, I mean, you can't have... And I'm not saying they will, but if all this came true, they would. Right. And 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 that's the thing the unions, and again, their job is to negotiate for their workers. We get that. But you've got to look at the business. Like we look at the business investing into it. They're investing all those union workers' time and energy into that business. And if they go overboard, they will cause that business to go bankrupt. Speaking of yellow truck. Yeah. You know, I mean, it does happen. And you can't say, oh, because they're making so much money now. Yeah. Because we will have good times and bad times. And I, and I've had very good times. Yes, yes, we had very good times. And you can't base a past performance on future results. Yeah. Something we see in the securities industry. They need to have that for the union saying you can't base future results on past performance because I do believe in 2025, that I believe is going to be a difficult year. You, you just cannot have the growth we're having continuously. And when you're asking for a 50% pay raise plus now, Think about a 32-hour work week. Well, you now have to hire, obviously, more workers because you're now eight hours short per worker. That that adds up a lot. So you're going to— more benefits per worker. More benefits per worker. And and what they're doing, they will destroy and break the backs of these corporations. I know people, oh, corporate greed, corporate greed, CEO is making this and so forth. Well, I, I'm sorry that CEO many times their compensation is based on the stock, and they may get like a $10 million bonus— but the stock goes down, guess what? That bonus is worthless. It's not like they get a $10 million paycheck, which people don't understand. Well, and that's the thing that they've pointed to is Mary Barra's pay. The right. CEO of General Motors is, oh, it's gone up you know, 40% over the last few years. And it, it's just, honestly, it, it's 
very wrong that people point it out that way because right. her cash salary has not changed at all. And it's bonuses that she's gotten for different metrics that they've hit, which is something that the board approves because as a shareholder, you want to make sure the company's progressing. Right. So she gets a stock-based compensation bonus. Now, I'm going to say the average person that works at General Motors, if you were to offer them a 20% pay increase with stock-based compensation instead of compensation, they wouldn't take it. Yeah. And Mary Barra is trying to do the right things. And, you know, being a shareholder— if my company is doing very well, I'm okay with the CEO getting stock-based compensation because then the stock should go up. Right. Everybody benefits there. And it, it's just I, – I, I think it's extremely frustrating to see these unions act this way because as shareholders and companies, it creates a lot of problems. And there's more people – and yes, I want employees to be fairly paid. I want employees to have benefits. I don't want them to you know, be part of a labor environment right. that is – you know having sexual harassment, having, you know, unfair working conditions. You don't want that. But you can't go to the other side and disperse all this wealth because you'll destroy shareholders, which not just hurts your individual investors, but speaking of pension plans, where do you think pension plans invest money? Into stocks. <laughs> In stocks <yeah. laughs> so you'd crush the whole society if you crush the shareholders. And, and, and I don't see why they wouldn't do this, but I know they won't is make the, the contract some type, type of profit-sharing plan or some type of stock plan, something an to— An annual basis. An yeah. annual basis to say, hey, if you if we all do good, we all benefit. It's not like, well, the workers, you're going to get this 50 46% pay increase no matter what happens to the economy, no matter what happens to the stock, doesn't matter. Uh, that is just a recipe for disaster. And 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 uh, we do own a car company, our portfolio, we, we've talked about, should we get out of it? We, we are— we look at the business saying, no, it's a good business. We know there's going to be a problem for the car company. But uh, the unions have to realize, like, you can't force us. And I would rather see our stock drop in price, which it probably will, and stay strong than give into this because this could force them down the road when things slow down, which they will. No doubt about it. You don't make yeah. profits every single year that are growing. Uh, then they'd be go bankrupt. Especially in a cyclical business like like. We know that at some point auto sales have been very strong. At some point, maybe it's year two, year three. As you said, we hit a huff, tough time in the economy. Auto sales typically fall yeah. when the economy slows. All of a sudden, now you have a company maybe that is losing money. Now you tack on all the additional labor costs. That compounds the losses, and there's no coming back from that. Right. And I, I know I saw another thing that if the auto companies wanted to do a temporary plant closure, well, then another thing the UAW wanted in there was that they could uh, strike against that plant closure. And it's like, well, they need to be able to manage the amount of production they're doing because if there's no demand. You can't just produce cars to produce cars. Right. I, right. It, it, there's, there's a lot of problems that they're coming out with here. And they said, forget who did the analysis, but they said it could add about $80 billion worth of labor costs to each auto company. Each auto company. Uh, and I don't know off the top of my head what their their profits are, but I don't believe they're— uh, And I believe that was over the full length of the, the uh, next four-year contract. 2027. Yes, so, yeah, but, but still. That's still a lot of cost for these companies to absorb. And, yes, they've had high profit margins over the last couple of years. But, again, as we know with auto companies, they're cyclical. You look back at the income statement for GM, Ford, Stellantis over the last you know, 10, 20 years— it's not a straight up line for profits. It's not no. like, um, you know, I'll even look at like a, a company like, uh, gosh, 
just a subscription type company that their profits have like I'll use Microsoft. Microsoft's done a great job growing earnings over the past, and their earnings are a lot more stable right. than a General Motors. It's a subscription base, mm-hmm. and 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 again, you can't buy a car based on that. We can't say, okay, we're going to pay this amount for a car every year. You buy the car, you're the leaser to buy it, and that's it. You yep. know, the car company got their profit, and that was it. But you may say, you know what? Things are kind of tough in 2025. I'll, I'll wait another couple of years to buy a car. Well, now the car company will have a probably a loss, and they've got to pay all this. It, it just doesn't make sense. And I can you imagine though what, it's, what it must be like to deal with the president of the UAW? It's got to be terrible. No, I, I gosh, I mean, I give credit to you know Mary Barra and you know the I think Jim Farley is the CEO of uh, Ford. I don't know the CEO of Stellantis, and I, I know Stellantis is is leading the negotiations at this point. Um, but yeah, it, it's got to be tough and. You know, it's definitely something to keep an eye on as an investor in these companies. And to be honest, I, I really don't see all these demands coming to fruition. And, and that's one reason we still are holding one of our auto companies, just because we still think that the underlying business, they've made so many improvements that they can handle some labor cost increases, not to this magnitude, right. but they can still handle it. But I mean, we'll have to see how long the strike lasts what type of impacts it's going to have. And, and we do know we had a strike back, and I think it was 2019 was uh, the last time they had negotiations. And it did cost General Motors a, a couple billion dollars, uh, but the stock price didn't go down that much. And uh, Stellantis is a uh, Chrysler. Who else do they own? Jeep. Jeep. Okay, so that's that's what they are. Yeah, I, I, Fiat. <clears throat> Fiat. <clears throat> so, and I think that was an Italian name, I believe. Fiat was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but, um, yeah, it, it's just a shame when you see this and, and that I wish the head of the unions would look at if they were investing in this business because that's what they're doing. They're investing their union members' time in this company. It's got to be on the same side. You can't be against them because what will happen is that they'll force that company to bankrupt. And then they bankrupt them. Well, all contracts are out. They can start all over again. Well, and here's a little secret. All these people, you could go buy the stock of the company you work at. Yeah. And that way, if they are making more profits, you can profit off the profits <laughs> in, in even more of a larger fashion. So it, it's, I don't know, it, it just drives me <clears throat> crazy, this this type of rhetoric. And um, as I said, I, I understand the point of unions. I, I'm not pro-union because of situations like this where they just go overboard and it it's it's going to be a problem. And, and, and I would like to know, and then we'll move on from this, but I would like to know how the president, the UAW, and probably the whole team there, I guess, how they come up with these 46% increase. I mean, they pointed to Mari, Mary Barra's CEO pay. But they didn't include the stock. They just say that the pay yep. overall, yep. And, and that was in the past. Yeah, see, and it just shows the, I'm going to say this, lack of intelligence of the president of the, the UAW that you're not you're not looking at the whole thing. You're looking at one little part just to get rah, 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 and it's yeah. it makes no sense. And, again, you want to do that? Say, hey, let's get part of the stock. Let's give our people stock-based compensation. Yeah, and kind of relating this back to investing, obviously, the, another thing you want to look at with these auto companies is you do want to look at the balance sheets because yeah, one thing you have to understand is if this strike occurs, well, how much is that going to cost them? Right. If they do go on for a prolonged time, uh, prolonged period there, are they going to be able to weather that downturn? And fortunately, a lot of the auto companies learn from the lessons of the financial crisis and their balance sheets are in very, very good situations. Right. Well, 
we'll be following that and we'll keep people posted on that. But uh, at the current time with him throwing the proposal, the first one in the trash, that was not a, a good start. No, not a good start. All right. Let's move on to gold because 26% of Americans believe gold is currently the best long-term investment, which is an increase from 15% one year ago. Unfortunately, people are investing in gold near the all-time high of $2,069 hit back in 2020. Uh, It is strange to me because gold is supposed to be a very good inflation hedge, but uh, the risk of inflation seems to be subsiding. The Wall Street Journal recently did an article on gold, and they mentioned a gentleman who lost thousands of dollars in his retirement plan by betting on biotech shares in early 2021. We didn't recommend that. He shouldn't have done it. But now he thinks uh, he now has invested in gold and feels comfortable and says he can now sleep at night. Uh, It makes no sense to me why someone would do a risk investment in biotech and then turn around, put all their money into a single commodity such as gold. Now, this is why the average investor only earns, on average, around 3% per year. During periods like this, people tend to forget when investing in gold, you can still lose money. In fact, if we look at GLD, which moves with the price of gold and actually owns gold, well, in 2013, shares fell more than 28% for the whole year. The 10-year average return on GLD as well is extremely lackluster at just 3.48%. At the end of the day, gold is just a piece of metal that is only worth what the next person will pay for it. Ultimately, I just would not be investing in gold at this time. You know, and gold has this, the commercials you see, you see these older people, you see these older celebrities like, well, I can sleep at night with gold. It makes me feel good that I can touch it. Like the president of the UAW, you're not analyzing the situation. We've said before, and we, we, we invested in gold. Um, we did as a hedge uh, when inflation was high. Um, we did okay with it, but it's not something that, you should be buying now because, again, we talked about inflation is now lower and gold is higher. Uh, aren't you supposed to buy low and sell high? You know, I mean, it, it just makes no sense to do this. But once again, investors, that's why they get the 3% return. They're always late to the party because they don't see the future. They look at the past and marketing on gold. I feel so good with gold. Well, and you know, I, think, and I, I don't. I'm just saying that's what they say. You know, I think the problem with people buying gold and the reason they do it is – it gives you that false sense of comfort because unlike stocks, it's not as in your face. Right. Like how, how often do people talk really about the price of gold on, on the news? Um, they, they don't. I mean, even, it's not even your local news, I think they will give what the stock market did, mm-hmm. but I don't believe they ever say, well, the price of gold was this. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think most of them do that. So just naturally, people aren't checking the price of gold as much as they're going to be checking the stock market, which, again, gives you that false sense of comfort. As I said, if you're looking at buying gold, go back and look at the long-term chart for gold prices. They are volatile. They oh, do yeah. move up and down. <laughs> And I'll tell you a little secret, too, is if you buy physical gold, the commissions on that are much, much higher. It's a lot more costly to buy physical gold because then you have the cost of storage as well. Right. But as I said the commissions on it is also much higher than if you were to buy a stock. Yeah, commissions to buy and to sell. So, um, and, and it's just going to sit there. And then you're right. You can't just put it on a shelf because, well, I'm afraid somebody's bringing my house, take my gold. So then you either have to buy a safe or you have to store it somewhere else, or you pay the company to store it, or you go to the bank. I mean, there's just so many things to add to it. Um, And again, it's just a false sense of security. And we have people like, yeah, if you want some gold, we'll buy GLD. 
Yeah. Uh, it's the best way to do it because there's no cost going in, no cost coming out. I think a management fee is like 0.12% like or something. So, so, so yeah. small, yeah. Um, it, much better way to do it if you want to have that. And, and again, I want to make sure that people are clear. We are not recommending you go buying gold. We would not buy gold. It is at close to the highs. And I believe I don't have a chart of gold in front of me. I believe it hit close to 2,000 years ago and then it went back down. And then uh, what I say, 2020, uh, 2020 was back up to 2069. So it, it, it just has not been a great performer. And why you feel comfortable with it, I just don't get it because you can't buy food with it. You can't do anything with it. Yeah. And it, there's no earnings. There's no, no. rent coming in. No there's dividends. There's no interest on it. I, I mean, it, it really has been sold to people as this, again, it creates that false sense of security, in my opinion. And I just, there's no way to come up with the target sell price on gold. Right. You, you know, and I don't think people, when they buy gold, think about what they would sell it at. They just buy it and plan to hold it. And you're not like thinking, oh, I'm going to buy it at 2000 Hopefully it goes at 3000 There's no real analysis that goes into the purchase and investment into gold. It, it's all based on what we call, and we don't like to do, is the hype. It's yeah. like, well, here's something to make you feel better, better. Buy gold. And the commodity sellers, those people are really good salespeople. We're not good salespeople. We talk about what we do, and we, we hope people get in and want to invest with us. But those people, wow, they, they, they can sell you pretty good. Yeah. So, and yeah, and just, we've seen that happen. There's a lot of people who lost a lot of money on gold, so it's a false sense of security. Just one number to take away again. 2013, down 28%. I'm sorry. That does not give me a, a good sense of security. And what were the dividends? Oh, wait. None. None. Yeah, yeah. I don't even get dividends on it. So um, phone numbers. Let me open the phone lines here. We've got a couple more topics to go over. But uh, you want to call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Maybe you want to talk about gold. We'll talk about it more if you want to. 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And again, you got an equity that you're looking at buying, selling, or holding. We can go through the fundamentals on that for you and try to point you in the right direction. Let's move on from gold to the uh, CPI. Talk about inflation. The uh, Consumer Price Index, uh, CPI, continued to show positive signs in the month of July as a headline number of 3.2% was below expectations of 3.3%. Core CPI, which include, excludes Ford, Ford, food and energy uh, was still higher than the headline number at 4.7%, but it was the slowest reading since October 2021. Shelter continued to be a heavy weight on the report as prices were up 7.7% compared to last year. Now, looking at the increase in shelter costs, that actually accounted for more than 90% of the increase in the CPI report. Other areas that remained troublesome included motor vehicle insurance up 17.8%, motor vehicle maintenance and repair up 12.7%. Just a little hint, that's why motor, motor vehicle insurance is high, is because the cost to repair the vehicles is <laughs> <Yes>. so high. <laughs> and also, too, food away from home up 7.1%. We know a lot of people have still enjoyed dining out. The restaurants are still packed. Now, food at home was much less problematic as it was up just 3.6% compared to last year. This was a big problem for many months, and now that 3.6% is, is much more manageable, I'm going to say. Energy continued to be a major positive as prices were down 12.5% compared to last year, and regular unleaded gasoline in particular was down 20.3%. So again, a huge benefit there. Overall, I'd say this was a great report, but I will say oil prices have increased as of late, and I do worry they could become problematic for inflation as a whole if they do not stabilize. 
You, you know, and, and Chase, one thing that you and I do a lot of, it's called critical thinking. We ask questions about things. We think what's going to happen. And, and a surprise, I was reading something that uh, professors at colleges saying they're worried because a lot of students, younger people, do not have critical thinking. They just take something like, oh, okay, there it is. They don't ask questions about it. Well, the thing we're looking at here, like, okay, shelter continue to be heavyweight as prices were up, I think it said 7.7% compared to last year. I am seeing more and more about the apartments, not just here in San Diego, but across the country, where they're saying they're starting to come down because of the high supply. Yeah. And they're saying that's now giving people that have homes for rent a problem because, like, well, I can rent your home for, I don't know, $3,000, but I can get this nice apartment with a lot of amenities to it for $2,300. Yeah, I don't, I don't want that home. I'll get that. So we will see things move because we also mentioned oil is on the rise, so that yeah. probably will reverse. But then you can have shelter costs will start to come down. Yeah, and I've talked about this a lot, but the reason oil is so concerning for me, and as much as people don't want to believe it, it is so intertwined into our economy. And you talk about, again, the transportation of goods. And, you know, even services, you still got to drive different places if you have different types of services. Well, that costs people money to, to transport things. Well, then all of a sudden they have to pay for more transportation. Now they have to raise their prices to offset the, the cost of transportation. So that is one thing that I am keeping an eye on. And, you know, I, we've talked about oil a lot. It is something that affects the whole economy. Yeah. yeah. And if we see oil prices continue, because they've moved up pretty substantially over the last couple of months, they continue to go higher. The, this whole inflation scenario could reaccelerate. And I did read that the United States is producing more oil than we've ever done before. Um, however, OPEC and OPEC Plus has actually reduced their production. So uh, that is the problem. So yep. we'll, we'll see what they do. And we still have the war in Ukraine uh, that can really change the, the dynamics going forward. Uh, you don't hear as much about that. I mean, I hear some good things, but, you know, if that were to be over, that would change the dynamics, I think, quite a bit. Yep. So let's move on. Lastly, to uh, the PPI, the Producer Price Index, uh, showed wholesale prices in July were up just 0.8% compared to last year. Some a point of the month over month gain of 0.3% being higher than expectations of 0.2% is a problem. But considering the year over year number is under 1%, I still I still like this report. Yeah, and also, too, looking at core PPI, which excludes food and energy, prices were up 2.4% compared to last year. It was above the headline number, obviously, but it was actually the lowest annual increase since January 2021. Services were a problem in the report, and this is something that the Fed has said they're going to keep an eye on as services did rise 0.5% in a month. This was the largest gain since August 2022. But, again, here's that critical thinking. Much of the increase came from a 76 percent surge in prices for portfolio management, which likely can be attributed to the increase in stocks we have seen this year. There's nothing in this report that leads me to believe the Fed needs to continue on its rate hiking path. Even with increasing oil prices, that's not something that higher interest rates is going to really combat. So I just, again, we've talked about it for months. I don't think we need the last rate hike. I don't think we need any rate hikes in the future. I think we just need to let the interest rates kind of work their way through the economy. They are elevated compared to where they're at. They have stifled demand somewhat in some areas of the economy. I, I think they are doing what they're supposed to be doing in terms of slowing demand. We don't want to destroy demand. And, and Chase, one thing I do after the radio show is I go back to the office and I, I make, you know, client calls, start some clients and so forth. And I'm still getting some pushback. Well, Brent, you know, that's not true. Uh, I am paying more. And what we're saying is that inflation, we don't have deflation. Yeah we have a slowdown in inflation. So things are getting better, but no, things did not go down. 
but what the concern was a year ago in June, I think it was, oh my gosh, it's going to be like the 70s, we're going to have 12, 14% inflation, it's terrible. That did not happen. We got the higher prices than two, three years ago, but that increase has slowed down to a more reasonable level. I know the Fed wants it, what, at 2%. Uh, I've heard things that we could get to the twos uh, by perhaps the end of the year. We'll see what oil does, which is a big factor. Yeah, and it is, again, inflation is the rate of change. It's not an absolute number, essentially, because you're so right. We don't want to experience deflation. People say, yeah, but back in 2019, prices... Not relevant. (laughs) It's really not relevant at this point anymore. And because then, here's the funny thing. Wages have gone up a lot since 2019 as well. Now, you can argue, yes, they haven't gone up as much as inflation. But now we have seen real wages start to grow again as they are outpacing inflation. So if we had deflation, well, do we have to cut the the wages for everybody? Right. You, You know, that's the thing that you have to look at is it's all relative. You can't look at prices in 2019, 2018. It's always going to be the rate of change is what inflation is. And we don't want to see prices fall 3 4%. That's not healthy for the economy either. Yeah, let me explain that because I, I have been following a lot with China because China, there's a concern they're going to go into de- deflation. And why is that a concern? Isn't that good because prices come down? The problem with deflation is you say, well, wait, this, this product is now $10. It's going to be less next month, six months down the road. I won't buy it. I will wait. That stops all the demand and all the consumption, and all of a sudden you have an economy that just collapses because nobody's buying anything because, well, next month, six six months from now, it'll be less. I'm not going to buy anything, and you have no no economy. Well, and you have deflation. You have less sales, less profits. Yeah. You can pay people less money because not as much profits. So that's where deflation can be very, very dangerous to an economy yeah. as well. And, and that's why you don't want high rapid inflation. But you can't reverse and have deflation. You've got to stay, in my opinion, between that probably two to four percent range is a comfortable range to be at. Above that is bad. Deflation. I, I think deflation might be even worse. Yeah, they're both bad. So yeah, yeah. When we were saying eleven <laughs> percent on the PPI, that was pretty darn bad. <laughs> that, 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 that was so. Well, if you like what we talked about here, we do have the newsletter that we we send out uh, every Friday at five o'clock. It is free. Uh, you, you know, I was looking at it this morning, and the way we lay it out, so you can pick the different topics and say, well, what are they talking about here with a PPI? What does that mean, and so forth? So you can do that. Uh, and the newsletter, this one, we also have uh, OPEC Plus. We talk about that. We talk about animal welfare law in California, technology advancements, uh, Chinese exports. We brought that up for you. Uh, we also brought up, uh, let me give you one couple more here. Uh, gosh, I can't get to the page. Oh, Doug done it. Um, streaming. That was the one I wanted to talk about with the streaming. So that's all in the newsletter. It is free. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, you'll see it right in the middle of the uh, the website there, newsletter. Just click on that, sign up for it. Every Friday at 5 o'clock, you get all these great topics to make you a smarter investor. All right, uh, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Wow, I can't believe it's been like 30 minutes already. I, we spent a lot of time, yeah. I guess, talking about those important topics. But um, let's go out uh, to Dwayne in San Diego, who's been waiting very patiently. Uh, Dwayne, you're on the Smart Investor Show, Brent Chase, how can we help you out? Good morning to both of you. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, I, I, pretty good. Pretty good. I hold the uh, Johnson & Johnson stock. Uh, I have held it uh, not probably about a year or so. Uh, it's about, uh, let's see, uh, it's about 6% of, of the, 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 the stocks that I own. 
value-wise. And they've recently come out with this exchange offer uh, for their spinning off or splitting off, as they say, uh, their commercial uh, um, application can view. And I just wanted to know about Johnson & Johnson in general, but get your thoughts on this split off. Okay, yeah, you know, it's funny because we're looking at buying a drug company ourselves, and I, I've kind of looked at J&J a little bit, but I kind of go over the numbers with you here. Uh, Johnson Johnson, their symbol is J&J. They're a drug manufacturer uh, general, uh, just generally that's what they do. Uh, short float, uh, only 1%, uh, 71% institutional owned. P.E. ratio is kind of high, and that's one of the problems that we see. It's a 35.2 above the industry at 25.4. Uh, price to sales, 4.7 versus 4.1. Price to book value, 6 versus 5. And then price to cash flow checks in at 24.1 versus 17.4. Peg ratio does look good. Now, all the valuation ratios were higher, but the peg ratio is 3.8 versus 8.5. The lower the peg ratio, the less you're paying for the future growth of the company. Now, over the last year, the earnings for J&J did fall by 28.2%. The industry is only down 22.1%. Sales for J&J were better up 2.3% when the industry did fall by 9.2%. The analysts give, give them a five-year growth rate of 4.3%, not quite as good as the industry of drug manufacturers, up 6%. Now, you do get a dividend from J&J, and I'm surprised on this here. They, uh, the yield is 2.7%. What surprises me is the payout ratio is 92%. That's very high for a drug company. The average is like 73%. So I don't know why there's so much of that payout ratio to, take, uh, to pay that small dividend. I say small, 2.7%. Uh, is not small, but it's not big by by any means. Uh, look at the balance sheet. Uh, we see current ratio 1.1 versus 1.4. That is good. A positive sign here, and I'm surprised by this one. Uh, debt to equity is only 0.6% uh, versus 1.5 for the industry. So that's a big positive that they don't have a lot of debt compared to their equity. I like seeing that. Net profit margin 13.4 versus 17.8. That is, you know, not quite as good as I'd like it to be. Return equity 17.4 versus 23.1. That is a positive. Chase, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Johnson Johnson again J and J $173.85. 52 week highs $181.04 and the low is $150.11. See year to date, it's essentially flat. It's down 0.1% on the year right now. We go out to December 2024, though. I do see estimated earnings per share here of $11.32. It would give us a target sell price of $187.91. So, I mean, it's not super far away from the current price, but it would be in what we call our, our hold category as it is still below that, that level. Uh, one thing that I would need to understand, too, is, again, I, Johnson & Johnson, what are they keeping? I think now they're just going to be extremely focused on really the pharmaceutical side of the, the business mm -hmm. because Kenview, I was looking that they are now going to have Band Aid, Aveeno, they're going to have the Neutrogena, they're going to have all those kind of Listerine, Neosporin, all those really kind of more consumer staple consumer type brands. companies. Yeah. So I would assume that the Kenview may have a higher multiple on it as well, just because generally your consumer staple companies carry higher multiples. We talked about this last week. I don't think I would be buying the Kenview because there's just not a lot of information on it just yet. I'm not anticipating you're going to get a great deal for it at this point either. I, I think J&J &J would actually be of more interest than the Kenview at, at this point in time. And, and even then, j and is not a great value. It's still a little undervalued. It, it, it looks okay. Did I miss the target sell price? It was 181. 181. 
187.91. Okay, so so you, you got quite a bit there. Uh, and I did look at those well, not earnings. Not quite a bit. That's about 15 times earnings. Oh, okay. I, I thought the stock was at 87. I'm looking at something different right now, unfortunately, because I, I was kind of looking at that one positive is that for 2024, over the last 90 days, we do see an increase about 30 cents on the earnings. So they are getting better. Um, but it, it, to me, both of these, I, I wouldn't be in J&J. Uh, they're too expensive. There's no potential growth on it. You got this Kenview spinoff. Um, it's just too complicated what can happen. Uh, I like things simple. Um, and I think you said you own it. Is that correct, uh, Dwayne? Yes, I own J&J. Yeah, yeah. I, I would... It's always tough with these spinouts because they create a lot of complexity yeah. and the business changes and your earnings could change quite drastically. And frankly, it, it could work out better as the, the company does focus on kind of it, its core competencies in terms of now focusing on the pharmaceutical side where it, it could be great for the business. But frankly, I'd, I'd almost rather wait and see if there was a, a pullback in the stock as the divestiture does become problematic with some of the numbers and that could create a buying opportunity especially at around 15 16 times future earnings it's it's just it's not a great value to kind of look at all that complexity and and what's changing with the business and and, and Dwayne, I mean, we we like to wait for the earnings to come out which they've come out already on on uh, johnson johnson so you'd have to read that to see you know what they're saying but i i i just i don't have a reason why I think this would be good, unless you see something that conference call that they they have some good things in there, um, and, and we don't follow this company, so <clears throat> I can't give you a lot on it. I would have to say, you know, read the conference call. What are they saying about it? But it's just at it, it best, it's a hold, but definitely not a buy. Yeah. Already. Okay. okay, I appreciate it very much. Okay, Dwayne, thanks for calling. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye. All right, that does open the phone line eight three three two eight eight. 0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Uh, by the way, our phone lines are open. So since we got this opportunity, let's talk to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How's it going? Well, good, good. I love this topic today because I'm hearing more and more about, and I've not heard what you're talking about, but I'm pretty sure it's on the same thing. Don't be too tempted by high savings yield. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so right now it's pretty easy to make 5%. Um, T-bills, money market, savings accounts now, we're all paying over 5%. And I think a lot of people are shifting too much of their investment assets into high-yield cash accounts and could be missing out long-term. So our retirement income plan is a long-term approach and making mistakes, especially early in retirement, can derail your overall plan. So. First of all, we can look at the tax side of it. Um, if you have something that's paying 5% interest and you're in the third tax bracket, that's really only 3.4% after tax. Compare that with making 8% investing and now you're subject to the lower capital gains rate um, after tax, that's 6.1%. So, you know, with the savings yield, you're, you're gonna be taxed a little bit higher. But then secondly, we need to look at the purpose of cash. Cash is for liquidity, so unexpected expenses, future purchases, or reserves for market downturns so you're not forced to sell at a bad time. Um, so that liquidity is the primary purpose. Getting a higher yield is just a perk. Uh, the purpose of your investments, on the other hand, are for growth and income, especially in retirement. Right now, interest rates are high, but at some point, rates will come back down, so that cash earning 5% now could go back to 2% in just a couple years. Um, 
But also in that time frame, investment assets could see some decent growth as interest rates go down. And I think the people in cash are going to miss out on that, which can really hurt a retirement nest egg. Um, an investment portfolio might grow on average 8 to 10% per year over a long time frame, but it's almost never 8 to 8 to 10% in a singular year. Uh, you've got years where you're up 25%, down 10%, flat, um, all over the place. So you need those good periods to help offset the bad periods. 2022 was a relatively bad year. Everything was down, growth, value, bonds, everything. Uh, now that yields are higher, people I've seen have been selling and locking in those losses from last year to take the 5% safe return in cash and are now missing out on this upswing. So everyone needs some amount of cash and also investments. Just because yields are higher doesn't mean you should stop investing to put more of your funds in cash. Um, it might feel safe short term, but in the long term, you could be reducing your retirement income and causing yourself to run out of money too soon. And Harrison, you're so right. And people, unfortunately, they have a short-term attitude towards this. And they look and say, well, between January 1 of last year and now, I've lost money. Let me go to a 5% CD and I don't have to worry about it. Well, that makes no sense because now you're projecting the future of what's going to happen. And again, we know it's supposed to buy low and sell high. But people just, as you said, they just don't get it that what about the next two years, three years? And I, I think there's a very good possibility that next year when that CD matures because rates should be down, that 5% CD or T-bill, whatever they may be buying, won't be there. It could be 35 maybe only maybe 4%. So they're missing by not using, I always say, the right tool for the job. Great that you can get a 5% CD or T-bill for the short term, but do not use long-term money. Uh, or do, do not use a short-term tool for long-term investing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, whether you're 30 or 60, you know, um, you know, a lot of times people that are going into retirement say, okay, I, I can't invest anymore. I've got to, you know, be more conservative, which I mean, conservative is a, is a relative term anyway, but even if you're going into retirement, you're still going to be an investor. And I would say it's even more important to understand how your investments are working because now those investments are your primary income source, as opposed to when you're working, you have wages coming in. So, um, yeah, I, I think a lot of people are, are attracted to these savings yields, which it's great that the savings yields are higher now, but that doesn't mean you should shift too much of your investment assets because in the long term, like I said, I think you're going to be missing out. And, and you know, it's funny. I, I've been doing this, uh, well, for 40 years. I remember being back in the banks in the 90s, and I would see that shift. Market would go down. People go back to CDs. Market goes up. People come on CDs and they buy high. It's like they, they, they just don't. We're talking about the, the unions. Yeah. People need to think in the future, not current, and compare bad past performance to, well, now I, now I feel safer because I got a 5% CD and I, you know, I didn't do very well last year. But if they go to the 2021, invested properly, they did very well. You know, they, they just need to get off this emotional roller coaster, which is hard. But that's why they need a financial planner to, to sit them down and say, no, here's a plan. We've got to stick to this plan. Yeah, I think these last um, these last two years have been a, a pretty good case study in that because, as you said, Brent, I mean, things go up. Um, people, okay, now investing is great, and then things go down. They don't like it. They sell out, lock in those losses to go into the safe stuff. I mean, the same thing happens with annuities. When the markets are down, annuity sales are way up because people want something that's more safe, but then they miss all the upswing. So you're constantly jumping back and forth. Um, 
buying high and, and selling low. And that's why, you know, the average person doesn't make you know, a lot of money long-term investing. Exactly. Well, Harrison, uh, again, that's why people sit down with you do a financial plan. That's why invest with us because, again, we're not emotional. We don't look at the emotional side of it. We look at the longer-term aspect of, of how we'll do. Uh, thank you. Have a great weekend, and we'll we'll talk to you on Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. You have a great one. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that's uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. He is a CFP. He's on a salary. He does not sell any product. He does not uh, sell you annuities or insurance. His job is to sit down with you and do a financial plan to take the emotion out of your financial plan and get a good plan for you. First consultation with him is free. You can reach him at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can send them an email right there and uh, take advantage of that free consultation. I encourage you because there's people that have gone to other well-known financial planners in San Diego, and they come to Harrison and they go, wow, my guy never talked about that. He didn't think about these things. Give it a shot. Well, it's because Harrison doesn't do the investments. He does the, the true financial planning, which is, uh, I think, extremely important because he actually listens to, to build your plan. And, you know, I was thinking just, just to kind of put this in perspective as well is, you know, if you did, like the S&P was down 20% last year, 19% to be exact, if you shifted over to a 4 5% instrument, I mean, it's going to take you years yeah. to get back to what you lost during that downturn. And, you know, it's just the emotions just kills people's returns in the long term. You, you know, and I think, and again, we, we've had over the years, we, we have our 20% plus years. Well, well, let's just say that you did that 5% CD and you don't have it this year. Maybe next year you have a 20% return. It would take you now four years just to break even on that 5% CD if it stayed at 5% and didn't go down like we expect because rates will probably fall next year. And, and not to mention again the fact that what Harrison brought up about the taxability of it is interest is taxed as ordinary income where investments are taxed at capital gain rates, which are much more favorable. That's true. That's true. All right. Phone numbers here, 833-288-0973. That's 833 288 0973. Let's go out to Las Vegas and speak with Will. Will, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning, gentlemen. I drive past a couple of very large uh, heavy equipment auction yards, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about Richie Blood Brothers Global, RBA. All righty. You know, and that industry is doing pretty well. I was just watched a thing the other day about uh, heavy equipment, and, and here in the United States, we've got some major manufacturing going on. So, uh, I just see it as, uh, yeah, there is a RBA, or RB Global, symbols RBA, specialty business services of what they're listed under. Uh, only 3.4% float. Uh, that's not bad for the short side. 91% institutional owned. Unfortunately, not a good start here with a P.E. ratio, 53.8 versus 28.7. Price of sales, 3.1 versus 2.2. Price to book value, 2.2. That is better than the industry at 3.7. But price of cash flow, 24.3 versus 17.2. Uh, RBA does have a good peg ratio, which is a positive. Uh, only 3.2 versus 7.4. The lower the peg ratio, the better. Unfortunately, I, and you'd have to look into this, the earnings per share of last year were down 59% 
when the industry was up 33%. Uh, could have been a write-off, something going on there, but that's a big big number. You want to find out why their earnings were down almost 60% uh, last year. However, sales, well, they were up 57.8% when the industry was 9.7. Maybe they bought something, caused some movements in the financial statements, but you got to look into that before you buy it. Five-year growth rate from the analysts, 7%, uh, below the industry, 11.4. They do pay a 1.9% dividend, and they use 99%. Uh, unfortunately, their earnings have paid that out. That's not a good thing to see there. On the balance sheet, current ratio 1.3 versus 1.7. Uh, debt to equity 0.8 versus 1.1. That is a positive. Net profit margin 5.9 versus 7.8. And return on equity very low, 2.8 versus 18.6. I do believe they, they did something here financially, which you'd have to understand before you could really buy the company. But let's look at it going forward. Chase? Well, first, I, I got to be honest, I, I didn't even know this was a business. I didn't either. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the what they do is they actually are the world's largest auction for heavy equipment. So they initially started as a live auctioneer of industrial equipment, but they have since also transitioned to expand in different places like actually selling construction, agriculture, oil field, and transportation equipment. And the company holds over 300 auctions every single year. And sell six billion dollars worth of equipment. Before you get the numbers, I, I just want to comment on this. And and, and like I say, well, I mean, this this is a, a I like the business model, but I'm thinking even during slow times, this company should do okay because when things go down, people are gonna want to get rid of their equipment. Well, they'll probably sell at a lower price, but I'm sure as an auctioneer or selling it, they still get the commission no matter what the price is. So I, I'm kind of liking this business model so far. Yeah, I, I, that's one thing I would understand is is it a percentage or is it a flat dollar? Because if they get a flat dollar, they, they make the profit regardless. If it's a percentage, then obviously they want – I would assume it would be a percentage. I would, it? yeah, percentage. But, but even so, I mean, it would be less. So if you sell, I mean, equipment for $500,000 and it goes on sale to $400,000, which is a big drop there, uh, the percent of, we'll say, 10% is still pretty good. So their sales would go down, but they will still have them. It's not going to go away. Like if you're selling, you know, like CAD or something, Caterpillar, uh, and the industry slows down, they're not going to be – you know, selling much at all. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an interesting interesting model, and yeah, definitely want to look at that in a little more detail. And I'm shocked here; it's a ten and a half billion dollar market cap, so it's not some small little company, no, a big no. business there. But looking at the current price for RBA, uh, again, the the business here, and they were formerly known as Richie Bros, as you said there, Dwayne, or not Dwayne, I'm sorry, Will. Uh, but current price for RBA fifty eight dollars, fifty two week high seventy one dollars ninety six cents. 52-week low, $48.72. I see year-to-date the stock's up about 3.3%. If I go to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $3.13. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. The target sell price, $51.99, below the current price of $58. How many analysts do you see? Eight. Eight. My, my system's very slow this morning. I still, oh, here, here it comes, because... Um, uh, I'm kind of looking at, well, and the 320, that what I have for the earnings for 2024, that is up from 302. So it's getting better, but unfortunately um, not enough because you said the target sell price is... 5196. Yeah. yeah. So, well, Will, you, you got us all excited here in a company, but we don't like to overpay for things. So I think it's worth watching and knowing this business is out there, but at this time uh, we would not be buying it. Okay, I appreciate that. I know that uh, you were concerned about that uh, big differentiation in the in the numbers and I know that they just made a real large acquisition of a uh, auto auctioneer which mm. gives them the ability to bring all of that heavy equipment to I guess 
maybe even a hundred or so more locations instead of all that transportation cost back and forth, they now have additional locations that they can move this heavy equipment. And they also have the access to uh, autos at this point. So, wow. but these, these auction yards are just massive and they, you know, it takes about 30 to 60 days. They just load up, they slowly load up with any, anything and everything that moves or has a machine or, or an engine. And all of a sudden it just sells. So yeah. I've seen like during the last big recession, I've seen, these places really ramp up and do very well because you're right. Everybody goes out of business, but all the smart people come in and buy that stuff at uh, pennies on the dollar or probably a, you know, a fraction of what it costs. And then the cycle turns around and smart people have the equipment. So yep. it seems like a really good business. I've, I've been watching it for a while. Yeah. And, and the thing you mentioned about the acquisition they made is that we have a company, our portfolio that just announced an acquisition this past week. And what we look at is like, okay, how's it going to change the debt for the company? Uh, what about the cash flow? All, all these different things, because it sounds great. Like, oh, they're acquiring companies. And also, too, is it accretive to their, them or not? Are they going to make income going forward on it? Is it going to be a couple of years? So they don't make income based on that. So you got to look at these things since they did, you know, acquire, uh, I think you said an auction for cars or something. Uh, yes. so, uh, so you got to understand the whole business, but uh, could be a positive, could be a negative. Uh, I hope they didn't take on too much debt. So, already. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your time. Thank you for what you do, and I really appreciate you having uh, Harrison on every week too. He's uh, he's really good. Well, good. Well, thank you. Thank you, Will. We appreciate that. You have a great one. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three. Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Chase, we only got a couple minutes here left, anyways. But uh, I thought one more time because it's next week. Uh, talk about your golf tournament a little bit. Yeah. So uh, again, August nineteenth, uh, we're doing a, a golf tournament, our, our third annual golf tournament for my charity, the Fighters Fight Foundation. Uh, we are a breast cancer charity, so we provide experiences to women that are are battling breast cancer. I started the charity after uh, my aunt passed away from breast cancer back in two thousand twenty, and you know, just kind of looked at all the appointments she had to go through and all the time that was spent focusing on actually dealing with the, the struggles of breast cancer. So I wanted to kind of create something to give women the opportunity to, to focus on spending time with friends and family and experiences that they can enjoy. So that's what we're, we're raising the funds for. Again, it's called the Fighters Fight Foundation. It'll be August 19th at the Rancho Bernardo Inn. Uh, registration starts at 11. Uh, scramble starts at 1 p.m. Always a good time. I say always. The last two times have been a great time. I'm sure the third time will be a great time here as well. Included in the ticket price is, you know, the round of golf, obviously. Uh, tacos, beer, and seltzers are, are provided as well. So, as I said, it's a lot of fun. And if you want to register, go to the website. It's fightersfightfoundation.com. Again, the fightersfightfoundation.com. Well, Chase, uh, you know, years ago, the United States was very dependent on China. I'm happy to report this. That seems to be changing. Uh, China has at least a 70% dependence on over 400 items imported from the U.S. and our allies with a value of roughly $47 billion per year. Now, these items actually include silver powder, which is used in solar panels, along with nickel powder and flakes that are used to build the batteries for electric vehicles in China. The country is very dependent on the U.S. for almost 66% of its grain. Give me the hard one here. I think it's <laughs> sor sorghum. Sorghum is what I would say, yeah. Which is used for a popular alcohol in China called baijiu. The trade deficit with China is beginning to improve, and I hope that will continue. This should reduce China's power over us and the world. And also, this it really shows how, I mean, China, they built that economy. 
via an export-driven model Yep. where they're building for essentially the rest of the world. But if all of a sudden that slows down, people stop buying from you, you're going to have some problems at home. And I was really, when I read this, I was really happy to see this because, again, for years, it's like, gosh, we're so dependent on China for their products. And that is changing to where now we, you know, the EV batteries and so forth, uh, they need us. They need our allies. So uh, I was worried about China becoming this world dominant and, like, you either deal with us or you deal with nobody. That is changing because now they're dependent on others around the world. So maybe things will work themselves out uh, to where they won't be this strong uh, country that can destroy other countries because of their economic power. Well, it's interesting. I know we've talked before about the, the EV batteries and the solar panels and how China does actually produce a lot of those. But I wasn't aware that they don't have the resources to then create them from the ground mm-hmm. up. So they need the other countries to help. And, you know, global trade is it's beneficial. I, I'm not going to say it's a bad thing, but it's it's nice to know that China can't just dominate it. They need help to to really produce some of the items, and I think that's a big benefit. I mean, we talk a lot about chips too. That's been a huge point of concern. But I know that China they, they produce a lot of chips, but they need the the equipment. They don't have right. that to actually produce the <clears throat> chips. So having this kind of intertwined economy, it it, it can be beneficial, but. There are downsides to it, too, I guess, where we saw with COVID, where the supply chain gets disrupted quite heavily. And that's what I think is really hurting China is companies are now saying, well, you know, we can still get the end product by maybe if we open something in India. Maybe we can open something here in the U.S. It might be a little more expensive, but it's worth not having that potential supply chain constraint. And I was happy to say that President Biden did put some curbs on some technology for China that they can't get that. China did turn around and say, well, we won't buy anything from Micron, but I was glad to see the president did say, no, we're not going to give you all our technology. Uh, that was a wise move. And also, too, it's hurting China is that years ago, 10 years ago, it was great because they're cheap labor. Their labor has gone up in price. They built these massive condos and stuff that people can't Ghost afford. towns. Ghost towns. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're going to have some problems, and they've tried to do a – uh, communist-type rule and also a uh, capitalist-type society, it, it's, it's not working for them. Uh, two conflicting strategies. Yeah, very conflicting. It's confusing. <laughs> it's confusing, yeah. And it's like you kind of do what the government tells you, but go go make a profit. Yeah. So, But it's just something that uh, I, I was glad to see that because I, I, I was worried. I mean, we were on Dr. Phil's show, and I said, like, you're going to learn Chinese because by 2050 we'll be controlled by China. I'm starting to see breaks in that, that that may not happen. Yeah, and and big thing that we've talked about is if China slows down, I mean, it's not going to help the global economy, obviously, but it's not like the U.S. slowing down because the U.S. still is such a consumption-based economy, and we have so many businesses that are now such global superpowers, essentially, that that would really drive the global economy into a, a, a tailspin. Where China slowing down, it I'm not going to say it helps them, but it almost... They're like, oh, we need to export more products. It, it kind of right. helps with inflation because then they'll maybe reduce their prices for exportation. I mean, it, it's it's not as big of a problem if the U.S. slowed down. And, and again, it's going to improve our trade deficit, which has been a problem for years that we won't have that big deficit. And our economy is changing. Which uh, helps GDP. Helps GDP because years ago, well, right now our consumption is about 79.5% from services, not from production. All right. Uh, thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for information purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 
888-546-4306 or visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And be sure when you're there, look for that newsletter. Great newsletter goes out every Friday. It is free. I know you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that